to engage with with technology um, and use that as leverage for changing how people raise money for all types of creative projects. Like that's probably the path. That's probably the way to have um, a uh, you know a much greater impact than I can have just as an individual uh, producer. And that's really where I sort of mark the beginning of my path to what has become artisan. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is artisan co-founder Renee Pinnell. In this episode, Renee details how growing up in an artistic household helped him realize the sacrifice artists face when trying to fund their work, which helped him fuel his desire to create artisan as a means to help fund human creativity. He's done so with well-known talent like Darren Aronofsky, the Wu-Tang Clan, and Kate Blanchett. Renee also exposes a more existential topic pertaining to Web3, expressing the idea that tech and art might be one and the same. Let's dive in. Renee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Steve. Really excited to to learn more about you and the the work that uh, Artisan does and how all that came to be. I know you've worked with projects from you know the Wu Tang Clan to Ter- Terrence Malick to Darren Aronofsky. Was the vision to always be immersed in art? You know, what were your early aspirations that kind of put you on this path to where you are today? Well, I'm a fifth generation artist. Um, okay. Everybody in my family is a painter, a dancer, a filmmaker, uh, a creator of one kind or another, going back to my great-great-great-grandfather. Um, so I've, I've, I've been really steeped in the arts, grew up in them, seeing the, the beauty and joy that art can bring into people's lives. Uh, but I also saw how challenging it is financially to be an artist. Uh, almost everybody... Uh, I knew and my family struggled with money um, and, you know, our extended community of artists, like even successful ones, uh, struggled to raise money for their work. Um, And that always seemed uh, unfair in a deep Mm. sense because art brings so much value to the world. Um, And I'd see my other friends who grew up with, you know, doctors and lawyers as parents and uh, I always thought that, you know, my family was bringing just as much value to uh, our community and, and to the world at large, and that um, that there must be better ways to uh, have have artists pay their bills um, mm-hmm. and to fund their work. Um, and so that was sort of just like ingrained uh, at a deep level. And then I, I went to film school to be a filmmaker myself. And I was a filmmaker for uh, 15 years. That was uh, my first love. Um, and I, I naturally gravitated towards producing um, and specifically helping helping people raise money for their, their movies um, because that was, you know, the hair on fire problem everyone had and it was the thing that nobody really wanted to do. So it was what I uh, would jump in more often than not to, to help with. Um, and this was up until about 2006, 2007 uh, when I got introduced to the world of, uh, of tech and startups. Um, uh, a company uh, funded a TV pilot. Um, I, I produced a TV pilot for MTV, and then this, this tech startup um, purchased it when MTV passed on the season. Mm-hmm. And it opened my eyes to this whole other part of the economy and this whole other world of creators. Um, and in, in, in the startup world, 
how people would raise money for startups was so different than how people would raise money for movies. Uh, the, the, this, you know, much, much more transparent, lots of, um, uh, you know, supportive infrastructure for, you know, having founders meet with angel investors, you know, accelerators that would help, uh, get, you know, startups, uh, ready for larger investment. And then of course, the, you know, the whole VC industry, um, it was just all felt like it was built for, um, breaking down walls, uh, between founders with an idea, um, and, uh, the capital they needed to, uh, to pull off their idea. And that was very, very different from the art world, very different than the filmmaking world, which, you know, everything feels like it happens behind closed doors. Sure. Um, very, very non-obvious for how to get money. Um, and so that was kind of like the first like light bulb that I was like, oh, okay. So there's other ways of doing it. Like not every creative project <laughs> needs to go through the same, uh, struggles. Um, and not that startups are easy to raise money for. It's just, it's, it's at least an order of magnitude easier than, um, than raising money for a movie or for, you know, uh, a, a, an art project. Um, and it also felt very much like tech, um, had taken, the cultural momentum that used to be film. I think for the, you know, uh, most of the 20th century film was the film and music were like the dominant forms for shifting culture and pushing culture forward. Mm. Um, and I think, um, really in the early aughts, uh, certainly over the last like 20, 30 years, um, tech has replaced, uh, art as the main cultural driver um, and so those, those, those kind of all coalesced, uh, yeah, about, you know, 10, 15 years ago for me and, and thinking that like, oh, okay, if I really want to have a big impact, if I really want to help all of my friends and family and the industry in general, if I really want to make a big impact for helping artists raise capital, uh, tech is probably the way to do it, I, you know, to engage with, with, uh, with, with technology, um, and use that as leverage for changing, how people raise money for all types of creative projects. Like that's probably the path. That's probably the way to have, um, a, uh, you know, a much greater impact than I can have just as an individual, uh, producer. Um, sure. And that's, and that's really where I sort of mark the beginning of my path to what has become artisan, which is, you know, the last 10, 15 years has been really spent figuring out how do I use tech to help creators raise money? And I've tried a million different things and artisan, is, uh, is the latest and I think the most successful, um, version of, uh, of, of the same, you know, project essentially I've been, I've been, uh, you know, working on. Right. Right. And, and, and when you, the project you're working on basically is, is you're saying is, you know, you, with your filmmaking and producing background has been, how do you, how do you fund, how do you help artists achieve their goals? And it sounds like, so tech was the answer to that. How does how does it all work with with artisan and how do you help further these uh, you know in some cases certainly certainly very high profile projects of uh, four different artists how does it how does it all come together? Yeah, so what what, what is artisan to begin with? Um, the way I think of artisan is uh, is we're a community fund for art, science, technology, and design. And what do I mean when I say a community fund? Uh, at its base, it means that we um, pool our money as a community. Um, and that means everything from individuals to our, you know, corporate sponsors, we pool our capital into one big bucket, and then we collectively decide how to allocate that capital, which projects ought to receive that money. 
Um, and we do it um, uh, as a community. We curate the projects that receive funding from us as a community. And I think that um, that's really the beating heart of Artisan is this idea of um, making it as easy as possible for a group of people to pool their money and then uh, make high quality decisions around which projects uh, are most deserving of that funding. So a lot to unpack um, and a lot of uh, interesting elements for how Artisan works and the mechanics of it. But at a very fundamental level, uh, I always think of it as you know community funded and community curated uh, projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 how did you land on Artisan? Like what what gave you the confidence based on the previous steps or 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 toes dipped in the arena of using tech to help finance art? Like how did how did Artisan become glaringly the 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 move how how how, how yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah yeah how did i decide that this was the thing to invest all of my my time and energy into um, yeah so it uh it it came organically out of um my last company so my my co-founder ruben and i ran a company called kaleidoscope and this was we started it in um 2014 and it was when uh vr and ar uh, we're having a, a resurgence. And for me, I was really excited about it as an artistic medium um, to tell stories, uh, you know, to go beyond just just video gaming, which at the time was the, the framework that everyone was thinking of, of VR primarily through. Um, uh, but I saw it as a, as a, as, as a brand new uh, creative medium that, that artists and storytellers of all kind would use. And the thing that was exciting about that beyond just it as, a, as an interesting, um, you know, uh, creative medium was that whenever there's a big platform shift, it um, it kind of shakes the board and uh, you can change the rules of how the game is played. Um, and so for me, I, I, I started Kaleidoscope with, without any clear mission other than let's just start funding projects in this space, as many creative projects as we can. And eventually, hopefully, we will stumble on some insight that... Um, we can we can use to to scale beyond just uh, VR and AR. But if we can prove a new model in this new industry, um, it might be easier than doing in an existing medium because it's a new industry. It's open to new ways of doing business. Right. And we kind of settled on um, what essentially was an accelerator, where we would produce ten to twenty projects um, a year, and we would uh, we you know we we'd have creators uh, submit their work. Um, internally, uh, so not as a community, but internally, we would you know pick the projects we thought were most uh, interesting and compelling, and then we'd host these private events where you know Facebook um, and Google and the public broadcasters in Canada and France and Luxembourg and other other countries that do public funding, you know basically everybody that was funding VR and AR would show up, and they'd see these projects pitch. And the ones that received funding, you know, we'd we'd produce um, and see across the finish line. But uh, we we only had bandwidth to do ten or twenty projects a year, um, partly because there were large large budget, at least for VR and AR. They were like you know a couple hundred thousand dollars to a couple million dollars was uh, was the scale that we'd work at. Um, but we had all of these talented creators in our community that we just didn't have the bandwidth to engage with. Um, and so what we we did in two thousand. 17, 2018, as we started an internal grant program where we would award, um, you know, relatively small grants, like five to $10,000 grants, um, 
every month or two. And uh, this was not the big idea. This was not like a thing that we thought would become a thing. It was just a, a sort of a top of funnel way to um, discover new talent and to support, you know, the thousands of creators that that had formed around our company. Um, but it took off in a way that we didn't expect. Um, we had hundreds of uh, really high quality projects being submitted every month. And I, I realized early on that um, this was something that our community got a tremendous amount of value out of, but I personally didn't have the bandwidth to sort through all these projects and figure out which ones ought to receive the grant. Like I, I did that the first couple of months and it was basically all I did the first couple of months. And it was also just my own opinion. And I knew that like, you know, I, I you know, I think I've got good taste, but I also have my own taste and that's, you know, just one perspective. And then I was going to miss a lot of really great projects just because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, the stuff that, that was to my liking, but that there would be a large audience that probably would dig it. Sure. Um, and so we, we, uh, my co-founder Ruben and I were like, well, let's, let's, let's hack together some, something that would allow the, the community to do this heavy lift of, of curation. And uh, it was just duct taped together. And, you know, it was, it was kind of dog shit for, you know, the first couple of iterations. And we just discovered like, oh my God, like community curation, wicked hard problem. How do you get a group of people that are often um, in competition with each other? Cause often, you know, members of the community would have submitted projects themselves. So how do you have these people that are, you know, often competing for the same, same funding, um, or are fans of, you know, one project or another, like, how do you get them all to come together and to uh, arrive at something that feels like a consensus, um, and for it to not just, you know, devolve into sort of, you know, gray, muddy mediocrity, sort of just taking the average, how do you, how do you still allow for weird projects to bubble up to the surface, which I think is what like small group curation is really good at is, is identifying sort of those diamonds in the rough. Um, and then how do you have it be like a process that like everybody feels like is fair at the end of the day, like really, really, really interesting and really challenging, challenging problem. And so we, we just sort of like hacked on that for like almost a year without having any expectation that that was going to be anything other than an internal product. And that sort of like over that same year of hacking, we, we got to a scale of these grants that like we, we, you know, we were happy to put in a couple, you know, five, $10,000 a month to it, but there was, you know, way more projects that we wanted to fund. So we decided to open it up to allowing the community themselves to kick in money. And, uh, that all sort of culminated in the summer of 2020 when we had a couple of our of our grants go viral. We had one that um, Viola Davis is this amazing Academy Award winning actress. She started a grant um, with uh, someone in our community named Sharifa called the Black Realities Grant, which supported um, black artists working in immersive media. And uh, uh, it took off. Um, uh, you know, Viola did a couple of tweets and posts on Instagram. And, you know, that grant raised, um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars the very first month that it, it was launched. And for, for Ruben and I, that was the light bulb moment where we're like, ah, okay, I think this might be the thing. I think this might be the thing that we've been looking for. And so we, um, you know, our last company was, was, was mostly boost, bootstrapped. So we, we decided to spin Kaleidoscope down and formed a new uh, company called Artisan. And, you know, we had just duct taped together this, this community grant product. Uh, so we, we burned that down to the ground, rebuilt it from scratch. 
um, and launched a standalone product and a standalone company in 2021, February. Um, and uh, the first couple of months, it, well, actually it was really just the first month, uh, it, it did great. It, it grew to um, like $20,000 in grants being awarded that first month, um, which is really good from starting from, you know, from, from zero, from, a, you know, fresh product. Yeah. Um, and those were all recurring too. We, at the time we were, you know, this was all built on web two tech. And so it was like, fantastic. What a great foundation. Like, you know, after one month, there's $20,000 of recurring, um, you know, donations to these grants. Like we can build on this. We, we, we were really feeling like this was, um, that we had, we had struck, uh, a chord that resonated with people, but then God damn it. Stripe canceled our account. We're, we built everything what? on top of Stripe. And, how, how? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> it was partly our fault and partly their fault. Um, just, I mean, their fault is a weird way of saying it, but we had a design flaw that, um, you know, again, like at this point now in speaking to you in 2023, we've, you know, we've awarded close to a million dollars in these small five to $10,000 grants being like the average award size. Um you know, we've awarded close to a million dollars and we've gone through close to a hundred different award cycles. Um, and at the time when we launched this, you know, the standalone product and in February, we'd already been doing it for almost two years. Um, but even so there's, you know, it's a really hard problem to get people to pool their money and to do high quality curation. So we had this design flaw where um, you'd have multiple projects competing and uh each project would like hustle to get their fans and their followers to donate to the grant in order to uh, give them voting rights uh, to vote for their project to you know to to win to win the grant and uh but um that first month we had a, we had a, a grant that we partnered with the Tribeca Film Festival and they were going to give um whichever project won they were going to uh give a premiere slot at the festival which is a really big deal in the film mm -hmm. industry sure um and so like Creators were motivated because of the cash, and they were extra motivated because of this this um, uh, this meaningful uh, award. And so, very very competitive, very competitive. People really wanted to win it, and they went to the extent of like you know holding like uh, like viewing parties where their fans would like um, like like on Instagram they they'd have like um, uh, you know these these live feeds where they'd sort of give like live commentary as new people would donate, and it was very exciting. But when um, the grant was finally awarded, there was, you know, a project that won and they got all the money and they got this premiere slot. And then the other projects that had hustled, they got nothing. They got bupkis, which was in retrospect, a design flaw. Um, and so what happened is those projects that didn't win is they called their credit card companies up. Not all of them. We only got like 15 chargebacks. But anyways, you know, the, the fans that had contributed thousands of dollars, you know, about 15 of them called their credit card companies and just said, nope, I didn't make these charges. They were faulty give me my money back. Right. And that spike was enough for Stripe to, um, uh, to cancel our account. It was, wasn't even a human in the loop. It was a total like trip in the algorithm. Like we had one, you know, this, this blip of, of chargebacks that crossed some threshold and they said, you know what, we're just going to cancel your account. And that was such a blow. No, you know, no, no heads up. No heads up, dude. It was 24 hours, like literally to the day, 24 hours after we closed this grant, we got an email from Stripe saying, hey, we're looking into this. 24 hours from that, uh, it was canceled. Uh, nothing we could do about it. Couldn't even talk to a person. One of our investors, you know, wasn't like super senior at Stripe, but, you know, it was like fairly senior at Stripe. They couldn't do anything about it. It was just a 
a complete unilateral canceling of your, your, your account. And as a company, when you're building your, your product on top of a payment processor, like that is your lifeblood. You sure. know, that, that, sure. that, is yeah. the, that is the bedrock of your company. And so for us, we, you know, we looked at that and we're like, okay, you know, in, in one respect, it's fine. Like this is only a month in, you know, $20,000 felt really good for the first month. Um, good place to grow from. But, um, but the idea of integrating with another payment processor that, which, you know, there, there are a handful of other really good, you know, fine payment processors just go to Stripe, but there's no guarantee that something like this wouldn't happen again. And it just, for us, we'd been thinking about making a shift to, to web three, you know, I, ideologically we were like aligned with it. We, we thought it was the, you know, long-term, it was the right tech stack, but for us getting canceled by Stripe was, that was the moment where we're like, okay, never again, are we going to build our product uh, where, you know, some third party can just cancel us, can just deplatform us, can just kill our business unilaterally. Right. And so that, that, that was the, the, the starting gun for like the next year of burning the product down to the ground, rebuilding it from, from scratch. Uh, I went off and raised a couple million dollars while my co-founder re-architected everything for Web3. And then it took us all the way until uh, February of this year to relaunch the fucking product. So it was like two years. Wow. Two years afterwards, it took us uh, to really complete that, that, that loop and have something in the market that we felt like um, was scalable, was ready to grow. And, and that, that kind of brings you up to where we are now, Steve, is, is you know, we've got a, a product that on one, on, on one level is, is kind of the same thing we've been doing for, you know, like, Jesus, like seven years, uh, six years, something like that, since 2018, 17. Um, and on the other hand, is, is very different um, because it takes advantage of the unique affordances of, uh, of building in the blockchain space. Well, it also sounds like, too, then, that the Stripe call it malfunction, really was a blessing in disguise for Artisan's bigger picture in that you were able to use that as the grounds to position the company for the future of the internet and hopefully, you know, longer term sustainability. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in our, our minds back in 2021, our plan was to like gradually migrate where, um, you know, our home base for the time being would be in, in web two land. And then we'd, you know, slowly find, you know, ways to, to migrate into the web three space. Um, but I think that that, that architecture is, um, is, is fundamentally flawed. Like I think, um, I think I do believe that, um, web three is, is a fundamental shift in, in how, uh, you know, humans and, and capital uh, coordinate, um, and I think, I think the right architecture is to, you know, firmly build your product in the web three space and then build bridges, uh, you know, from the web two space into the web three space. Um, but, but have your, your home base, you know, and, and the core of your product built, uh, built in web three. So I, I think you're right. I think it was a blessing, um, in disguise so at the time it, it, it was such a gut punch. <laughs> sure. Sure. And, and how, how did you have the sort of ability to one withstand that gut punch but also have the confidence that hey you know what we're gonna see this process through and eventually what needs to work out will work out like or 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 was it really a, a struggle for a minute before things you know before the the light started to to shine through the trees we had conviction by that point you know we had been running by the time we launched artisan as a standalone product in 2021, uh, we we had awarded enough 
funding in this this novel community curated community funded manner that we had real conviction that this that there was something here um so it definitely was not like um starting from scratch and it was it was it felt a lot more like um the you know i, I don't know if you're an artist uh uh but in the artistic process you go through this existential dread you mm-hmm. sort of look at the existential abyss uh, in front of you in front of you and and you question whether or not you'll ever figure out you know the the hook for your song or the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the the plot line for your movie you know am i smart enough am i clever enough <laughs> sure, uh, sure. to get to the other side and so in startups it feels very similar when you're doing product you 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 sort of wander in the wilderness and so when we got Stripe, you know, canceled us, it didn't feel like we were wandering in the wilderness as much. You know, we, we right. felt like we had a roadmap. We felt like we knew we needed what we needed to build more or less. And it was much more about adapting it for the unique affordances of Web3, um, which had a lot of existential, you know, dread mixed in, in, in with it as well. From, you know, the creative perspective, there was still a lot of uh, challenges that we needed to, to overturn. But it... Um, uh, but it it also felt like you know there was a roadmap, and and both Ruben and I had a real fire in our belly after that. Like we wanted, we had something to prove, and um, I, I felt I'm I'm over it now. But I was so mad at the time. I was just infuriated and uh, was was hell bent on not allowing Stripe to tank this dream. Right, right. And well, and it sounds like too from what you're saying that you had enough positive use cases that demonstrated one, the effectiveness of what you were doing, and two, validated that it was something that people desired and wanted. And so, so having that there, kind of to your point, is, is huge because you, you already know that what you're creating, what you're putting out there is, is something that people want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, it took longer than we thought. I mean, at the time, we, we, we thought we'd be down for maybe six months, um, but it turned into, yeah, almost 24 months of rebuilding the product, raising the money, you know, doing a lot of tests on the way, but until we had something that we felt like was a real product. And honestly, like, it's, it's still an experiment. Like every season, so we, we award funding on a seasonal basis. So every season, creators submit their projects, um, our community votes on those projects. The highest rated projects are curated for our official selection. Those then compete for match funding and uh, cash prizes. Um, and every time we do one of these seasons, we still, you know, review the data, you know, talk to our users, figure out what worked well, what didn't, and then make uh, improvements. So I think I think it'll always be an ongoing experiment because this is... Uh, you know, the kind of problem that you can spend your life trying to solve. And, and I'm excited to spend my life trying to solve because it's so it's so important and so uh, challenging and complex in really interesting ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and the fact that you're, I mean, it's right at the heart of the Web3 ethos of of, involve, of that community involvement and, and having them take a, a very important role in helping that curation. You know, in terms of that, what what's the range of projects that are submitted and that you guys look at, and and you know, how does that help uh, inform or not inform the the slate for a given season? Yeah, so right now, um, our our community is mostly the sort of like intersection of tech and art, and that's a, a byproduct of our last company, which was funding you know immersive projects, VR, AR. XR, um, 
you know, interactive games, uh, stuff that threads that needle of, you know, deeply technical and deeply artistic. And so a lot of our work, most of our work that, that is submitted and, you know, has raised money um, is still in that vein. Um, though we've broadened our, our focus quite a bit. Um, we, we, we see artisan as, uh, a, you know, a fund for human creativity in the broadest sense. So uh, art, science, technology, design, and all the interesting spaces between those disciplines. Um, I, I don't see much of a distinction um, between, uh, you know, creating a film or doing a scientific research project or between, uh, uh, you know, uh, a dance project and something that looks like a startup. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's a group of people that come together with an idea for something that doesn't exist in the world. And, uh, you know, they need some money and they need some time and they need some talent uh, to pull it off. And so for, for me, I think the distinctions between disciplines are pretty artificial. And from um, uh, a funding mechanism standpoint, I think they're irrelevant. Um, and so for me, when we designed Artisan, we really tried to find a system that we could envision working just as well for funding a startup as for funding some bizarre art mm -hmm. project. And we wanted it to be that flexible. Um, and so uh, if anyone's listening to this, you know, if you are an artist, a scientist, a coder, um, if you are a creative person producing any kind of work, um, you know, Artisan uh, wants, uh, wants to see your project. Artisan wants to, uh, you know, fund your work. Um, uh, and we're actively trying to make inroads into those different, those different pretty siloed communities, but it takes sure. time. Um, well, and, and, and also from what you're saying too, while they may be siloed communities, I think what you're touching on is, is really interesting, which is thinking of tech even, I mean, blurring the lines between tech and art. I mean, are they that far apart? And, and it sounds like from everything you just described that the, perhaps they're just different facets to a larger singular entity, you know? Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, I, that, that, is my, that is my opinion. I've seen people write code that looks like poetry. Um, <laughs> You know, I think the and I think the act uh, is the same. I think the creative act to make something new that we haven't seen before, something shocking, something original. Uh, I think that challenge um, and opportunity is is the same regardless of of what your discipline mm. is. Well, and, and I mean, you just said it at the end of the day, you're you're creating. Which, if if that is the basis for art, if if creation in all of its forms is is art, then it would certainly fall under the demo, the. Uh, the, the blanket term, uh, you know, that we're, we're thinking about it in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, the, the idea of an artist is an interesting one and in that like people didn't used to think of chefs as artists, right. right. But then, you know, it got elevated through like celebrity chefs over the last 30 years and now it's considered an art form. And I, I, I kind of, you know, and whenever you're discussing someone, whatever their profession is, um, and that person is is creative, and they're operating at the highest level of their game. You you refer to them metaphorically as an artist, but I think I think they really are an artist. I think anybody, whatever your medium is, you become an artist when you're doing something that's you know uh, deeply creative um, and done with uh, craftsmanship. Mm. Mm. And 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 I like then that if that's sort of the 
ideology behind artisan and, and the lens with which you're looking through things uh, art specifically with this sort of broad spectrum then it stands that potentially you guys can help produce and fund a lot of a wide array of influential and impactful projects across many mediums that's the ambition one of the interesting things with how artisan works is um, once projects are curated for our official selection each season, the way that they compete for match funding and cash prizes is by selling cultural artifacts from their projects. So uh, a cultural artifact in the context of Artisan is an NFT um, that's sold as an open edition. And the NFT is what you'd expect. It's a media asset, a, a JPEG, a, a GIF, a, you know, a movie file. Um, any, any media asset that tries to capture the essence of the project, tries to capture the big idea behind the project, um, tries to document an important milestone. Um, think about it uh, kind of like uh, da Vinci's manuscript. You know, it's, it's not the work itself, but it's, it's the documentation and it's the uh, uh, connection that a collector feels to da Vinci's work through that manuscript that makes it, you know, a tremendously valuable cultural artifact. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to sell cultural artifacts from projects that don't exist yet to help raise money for those projects. And so when you, um, when you buy an artifact from a project you love, um, you get uh, an interesting form of ownership. You know, it's not the project itself, um, but it's, uh, it's this interesting uh, sort of byproduct of the project. And our bet is that most projects that we fund aren't going to change the world. But if we fund enough of them over a long enough period of time, some of them will change the world. And the artifacts associated with those projects, we would imagine to appreciate in mm. value. And so that's that's Artisan's bet, because whenever someone buys an artifact, we mint it in triplicate. So the person who purchased it gets a copy, uh, the creator of the project gets a copy, and then the Artisan Community Treasury gets a copy. And so we own a third of all the artifacts that are minted, and we just um, we mostly just uh, will hold them. Um, though we do also distribute them to members of our community and people that we want to engage in the curation process, um, because these artifacts um, are actually what gives people voting power. So back in the, the first phase of a season when creators submit their work, you know, I said that our community votes. Uh, I glossed over how they vote. Um, they vote by owning artifacts. So if you own 10 artifacts, you can cast 10 votes for whichever projects you think are the most interesting. Um, but in terms of a financial stake, you know, that's, that's our long-term bet is that, you know, we'll, we'll end up creating something that looks like an index fund for, for human creativity. So, you know, we fund enough of these projects, some of them are going to hit big and that's, that's where we, we, we believe we'll see the sure, upside. Sure. And is there any other practical use aside from being a cultural artifact for the, the NFTs? Is it, you know, you mentioned it gives you voting power within the community to help create which projects or to help vote on which projects will hopefully be on uh, ensuing seasons. Are there any other tie-ins that the artifacts themselves provide holders? Yeah, so there's there's sort of two two main elements. One is, uh, you know, the more artifacts you own, the louder your voice is going to be heard in our community. And right now, that looks like voting for projects. Um, but as the product evolves, um, artifact ownership will be the main uh, way that we track and allocate 
um, sort of your decision-making power across many different realms other than just curation. Uh, and the other thing is, is gated access. So, you know, our, our community is, is private. Um, you have to own at least one artifact to join it. Um, and right now that community is built on console, which is this beautiful app that some friends made that is aiming to replace things like discord. Um, and you have to have a, an artifact to, uh, to join our console community. Um, in the future, we want to, um, also do token gating around the project itself. Um, so think of Patreon where when you support a project on Patreon, you get access to this private space where the creator gets to share updates about themselves and their work um, that only their, their patrons get. And we're going to do something similar with artifacts. So if you buy an artifact from a particular project, um, that project page on Artisan will become the hub that the creator uses uh, to build community around the project. And, and the artifact itself will be the thing that um, grants you access to that that private community that forms around a specific project. Really, really cool. So really it's, it's helping community members become more immersed in the community itself. Yeah. And, and get a bigger stake in it, both in terms of deciding outcomes as well as a bigger um, upside. If, if any of these projects um, end up making a big impact and uh, appreciating in value. Totally. And in that, in that aspect, what has sort of the success been with some of, as you mentioned, you know, you, you, you're positioning artisan for the, for the long term for long term successes. What about the current portfolio of projects, uh, from existing seasons? How has that, uh, what's the reach been like? What's the response been like? What has the community, what's their reaction to the slates been? So uh, since we relaunched the product as uh, you know the Web3 version of Artisan in um, February of this year, we've only, you know, we're, we're headed into season three. Um, so uh, season one had about 30 projects in it. And in total, the projects in season one raised a little over $30,000 with the distribution being with the, the highest ranked project, the one that was the most successful raised about 10,000. And then it sort of was a, you know, a sloping curve down uh, from that. Season two, uh, creators raised $70,000. So it was like 132% increase in funding. Um, and the top ranked project raised just over $40,000. Um, second place was like 15. Third place was like, I don't know, 10. Um, and then we're going into season three now. Uh, my uh, expectation is that the projects in season three will raise above 100000 and uh, for us, it's just going to be the same game where every season we are, you know, the main metric that we track and judge our success by is how much money have these projects raised in total. And as long as each season, it's greater than the last season, um, we'll know that we're on the right, right track. Um, I expect that by the end of this year, um, beginning of next year, that projects will routinely be raising in terms of like the successful ones that are curated, raising in the tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and I hope by uh, end of next year that will be, um, you know, the successful projects will be raising hundreds of thousands. Um, and then hopefully by the time we have our, our next bull run, whenever that happens, I expect that projects will be raising in the millions. Wow. Um, that's that's our ambition. Um, and, uh, and that's really just like, you know, a pretty narrow scope of our ambition because if I'm, totally honest, like the, the mark for us is 
you know, we want artisan to become the dominant uh, funding mechanism for, for all human creativity. And that's quite, you know, I, I blush to think of the <laughs> ambition, but that is, that's, that's the sure. mark, you know, and we probably won't get there, but I think it's really good to have clarity in, in what you're aiming for. Well, and, and it also gives, again, as we were talking about with the, the blurred lines between, you know, tech and art and, and really how those two verticals are really perhaps one and the same, it, it, it kind of speaks to that same ideology. You know, if, if you're trying to be the leader of helping fund human creativity, well, then creativity, while art has the strongest connotation, it, there, there is, as we, if we, we've talked about, there, creativity doesn't really have limits. And, and we put those limits on creativity, you know? 100%. And if we look at like the big problems that we face as a civilization, uh, the big existential threats, uh, climate change, uh, nuclear holocaust, radical forms of AI and bioengineering, uh, you know, toppling civilizations. Uh, those, those all feel like really solvable problems if we, you know, increase the amount of support and funding going towards creativity. Those, those feel like problems that, that, can, that can be solved through human creativity. And uh, so for me, I, I feel like it's, um, it's essential for us to uh, dramatically um, increase the amount of money that goes to things like art and science. Uh, I don't think we, we fund those, those things nearly enough. And I think the funding that, that is allocated toward art, science, technology, um, I don't think it's uh, efficiently allocated. I think we could do a much better job of, of making those decisions and I think we can cut out a tremendous amount of waste in the mm. system. Um, there's many different, you know, uh, mechanisms for funding these these different things. Like you know, uh, technology is you know it's funded through 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 startups. It's funded through governments. Um, you know, science is funded through universities. It's funded through foundations. There's a lot of different ways that all these things are funded right now. But I think it's you know you talk to an artist, you talk to a filmmaker, you talk to uh, 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 you know, a scientific researcher, and you'll you'll find a shocking amount of commonality in the failure modes. Decisions get made behind closed doors, right? Like nobody knows really how these decisions are made. They're they're small group decisions of you know uh, uh, you know quote unquote uh, elite experts. Um, typically, um, there's a lot of failure modes there where it's you know more often than not it's the people who just have connections who've you know hung out at the right bar at the right time to meet the right people, um, uh, which is fine, you know, but it's, um, it's not a great system for ensuring that the most impactful projects get funded. Um, you know, it's your funding sure. your friends, which is, again, it's fine. It's just, it's not the most, it's not the most efficient capital allocation. And then if you talk to somebody who raises money for like, you know, uh, a lab at a university or something like you, you land a grant and at least 50% of that is just going to get eaten up by, uh, by the university, and sometimes even more. Like I, I, I've got a friend who runs um, uh, is, is a curator at a, a major film festival, and when she lands a sponsor, guess how much money gets eaten up by the the parent company, and guess how much she has left to fund her actual program. Oh, I've, I have no idea. It's like eighty percent. Eighty percent gets gobbled up by the parent company. They're left with twenty percent. <laughs> so if 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 she's going to go try to go, you know fund some innovative program, you know. 
it just that's, it's insanely yeah, difficult. Yeah, that's um, a, that's a far on paper it sounds great, but then in practical, uh, you know, it it it's not converting what it, it aims to and convert on. Exactly. So a sponsor comes in and they think they're you know putting a million dollars towards you know funding innovative work, and you know really eighty percent of that is going towards you know salaries of management. And 20% ends up going towards the actual program to support creators. Wow. Well, on that tip of, of funding creators and, and funding science uh, and grants and, and tech startups, what commonalities have you known in movies from, from your background in filmmaking and producing and, and understanding all these different uh, fields where fundraising is key? What, what are some of those commonalities that across the board, even though, as you mentioned previously, that it's sort of different mechanics for each individual industry and in, in raise. What are some of the similarities across the board that, that all of these different verticals have to contend with, aside from the opinions of other people? <laughs> in terms of the, the, the failure or like what's some commonalities of successful projects? I think, yeah, uh, both, but uh, I was referring to mostly uh, success, success, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it, you know, raising yeah, I've I've raised. I mean, it's hard to get the exact number, but it's 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 around fifty million plus that I've raised for creative projects and through my career over the last twenty years, and um, and that's been you know uh, in a lot of different domains. So I I do have a good sense uh, of what what seems to to always result in a successful project. It, at the end of the day, um, I think you need to be able to articulate clearly what you're making um, and try to use as simple language as possible. Um, so often, whether you're trying to raise money for a startup or a movie, um, getting it down to a couple of sentences that most people can understand and have a clear uh, idea of um, is surprisingly challenging. Um, you know, if you if you're boiling down a script that took you three years to write into, you know, a three sentence thing. It's, it's really hard. It's really hard to boil down why this is important and just the mechanics of what it is sure. that you're making. So do that. Uh, I think the other big question that you need to always answer is, um, what, what impact do you hope to have with your project? Like, how is this going to transform the world of art or science or technology? Um, I think another really important question is, uh, you know, giving people a sense of progress, like, you know, how far along are you? How quickly are you moving? Um, and then finally, why are you the right person to make this project? What about you makes you uniquely suited to, you know, write this novel or to, uh, you know, do this scientific research project? Like, what is it about you and your background and your skills and your expertise that makes you the only person in the world that can make this specific project? So those four questions, I think, are the, um, the most important to answer. And I think all materials that you generate to try to raise capital stem from those four questions. Mm. Mm. Super helpful, I think, to any listener who is embarking on a creative endeavor in any of the fields we mentioned, or perhaps ones that we haven't, but uh, at the base, it's still a creative pursuit. So that's, that's super cool. Um, on that tip with creative pursuits, is there anything upcoming uh, that you can speak to with uh, Artisan uh, in terms of slates, in terms of uh, upcoming partners? You know, what, what's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah, so um, 
So an important note, we always, uh, we, we accept projects on a rolling basis. So we're always accepting projects. Um, you know, whenever you submit, it's just dependent on like which season you'll be submitting to. But as soon as one season is curated, you know, applications are open uh, the very next minute for, for the following season. So, you know, there's no wrong time to uh, submit a project for funding to Artisan. Um, we are right now, uh, toward the end of June. I'm not sure when this will be published, but uh, we're accepting projects for season three. Um, uh, an interesting thing to note is we partnered with Protocol Labs um, for their event called Funding the Commons, which will be at the Sorbonne in Paris. Um, so projects curated for season three will be exhibited at the Sorbonne. Uh, I think we're going to be doing an event in Korea. We try to do one event every season somewhere to, to have people meet in the real world. Um, hopefully connect with new collectors, um, have people discover new creators. Other uh, developments um, coming up that I'm excited about, um, we're launching um, a new form of match funding that I'm excited about. Um, so in the past, we've just sort of had one big bucket of match funding, but now we are um, allowing uh, our sponsors and our partners to create um standalone match funds that are targeted toward funding the type of, you know, creators uh, and causes that, that matter to that organization. Um, so, you know, for instance, in, in the past, we had uh, Microsoft as one of our, our sponsors and they wanted to fund um, uh, creators doing volumetric mm. video. And, um, and so we had the volumetric video match fund. And so now we're going to scale that program up and make it as easy as possible for any company, any DAO, any community, any foundation, any organization to uh, to launch a, uh, a match fund to support the people, projects, and causes that matter most to their community. And that, I think, will be um, a really important um, uh, way for us to um, to reach those those types of creators that are outside just the, the, the tech art community that we sort of have floating around Artisan right now. And so we're actively trying to find um, sponsors and partners that are, uh, you know, leaders in these, these different creative disciplines. Mm. So that's, that's, what's going to come over the next six months is I'm spending most of my time bringing on new, new partners. And it's a good deal for them because it's a way of having their, their money go for sure. So, cause we, we, whatever money they put in our community matches. Um, so if they, you know, they want to deploy a hundred thousand dollars towards funding the creators in their community, um, you know, that'll turn into $200,000 worth of impact um, for the creators in their community. So it's a good deal for, for us. It's a good deal for them. Um, and I'm excited to roll that awesome. out. Awesome. And, and yeah, what, what, is, what does a sponsorship kind of or, or a creative partner sort of look like in, the, in that respect? Is it, is it just a financial backing that helps, as you, as you said, drive impact? Or are there some other uh, benefits as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, you get standard sponsor stuff like your your logo and a link to your you know product company whatever um, uh, throughout Artisan. So whenever uh, a project qualifies for a match fund, uh, you know our sponsors logo will show up on their project page um, as you know uh, one of the, the 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 sponsors supporting supporting their project with match funding. So you get you get sort of like brand awareness mm -hmm. stuff. But the the heart of our our sponsorship deal and and really the heart of our, our business model is um, is this concept of allowing companies who already have capital earmarked to do things like a grant program or 
um, earmarked for like marketing to raise awareness uh, for their product to the types of creators like like Adobe, for instance, right? Like it, it, you know their their whole software is built for for helping creators, and we're we're talking with them to launch a match fund. Um, that would support creators building with, with Adobe. So, you know, they already have a lot of money allocated right, right, right. Uh, to do that activity. And, you know, our pitch is just that this is a, this is a more uh, efficient and effective way to spend that money. I mean, you could, you could spend it, you know, on ads, you could spend it on um, a hackathon, you could spend it uh, on sort of traditional developer grants. And those are all, all fine um, and good. But um, the cool thing about Artisan is that it does two things. One is it um, it allows the community to, uh, also chip in money at, you know, different sponsors as well as individuals through purchasing artifacts um, allows, you know, a, so a greater amount of money to go towards the types of projects that that, that anchor sponsor cares about. Um, so it's cool for that reason. And then it's cool for the other reason, which is that like, as we discovered ourselves, you know, four years ago, doing curation is wicked hard and having visibility as, you know, a big company into, what types of projects and what types of creators do does does your your community that, that's around your company? What do they care about? What are what are they excited about? What do they think is um, of value uh, and worthwhile funding? And Artisan allows uh, allows that company or that organization um, uh, to tap that collective wisdom, and uh, we think make much higher quality decisions about you know which creators and which projects get that funding. Um, so that's that's the main value that we bring, and of course you know the value we get is. Uh, and that our creators get is is, is more capital sure. to go make you know projects that hopefully um, have a positive impact in the world. Yeah, love it, Renee. Where can potential artists and creators and potential partners? How how does one find Artisan? How can they get involved? Where where are you guys located? Yeah, so our home on the internet is uh, artisan dot fund. Um, that is uh, a R T I Z E N dot F U N D. Uh, so our name is like uh, artisan, like someone who is a craftsperson mashed up with citizen. Um, so portmanteau of those two words um, collided together, um, and then dot fund because we that's the that's the verb that we do. We <laughs> yes. fund things. So artisan dot fund, and all, all, you know, you go to that website, and you know, if you want to sponsor a match fund, if you want to submit a project. Um, if you want to vote for for projects, if you want to buy an artifact, like it's all pretty darn obvious, and all the help stuff um, directs people to me. So if you want to get in touch, like click on anything that says like contact us, and it'll probably get funneled to me at one one form or another. We're, we're a very small organization, and I, I very much hope to keep it that way. Right on. Uh, well, Renee, I appreciate the time. This has been a very informative chat. I really enjoyed learning more about you and Artisan and the path and sort of the uh, ethos that inspired you to come up with the company and the mission behind it. And uh, yeah, just really, really good stuff. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Anybody that uh, can shine a spotlight on the creators in our community, I owe a debt of gratitude uh, to. So thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content. <laughs>